Amen. I know you enjoyed that. She sings as well as she plays, too. And we're so thankful to have this great talent in our local church. Well, let me say welcome to you this morning. Great big Houston Baptist Church welcome on behalf of our pastor, Reverend Corey Sexton, and uh, Miss Carla. We want to say thank you for being here. You're, you're more than welcome for, for, uh, for being here and, and uh, participating in the worship service. In fact, if you're a first-time guest, you are a very special guest to us, and we hope that the service will be a blessing to you and that you'll come back and be with us again, get to hear this good man of God preach. As most of you know, recently I published two books. One was Jude, The Journey Through Jude, wherein I did an exposition in translation from the Greek text. And uh, the second one was, of course, Colossians, a combatant letter. And again, looking at every word from the Greek text and parsing it and giving commentary. And many of you got those books. And I just want to take this opportunity this morning to say thank you. Thank you for your prayers and your support and, and all that you did. We are uh, almost to that uh, level now to where the debt for publishing them will be remitted and the rest, and I've got two or three boxes left, the rest of the monies that we get from the sale of both of those books are going, is going to our mission program here. I won't make a dime. I don't want a dime out of it. It belongs to him and dedicating that to him. And I just want you to know uh, what's going on with them. And I appreciate you uh, getting them and praying over them and handing them out and helping me get them out into the public hands. Thank you so very much. I pray God will bless you for it. So when I began to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me to preach? That's the kind of conversation I carry on with him. It's a personal one. It's not a matter of having something to preach. All these years of preaching, I've learned how to study, but it's a matter of knowing what to preach, something that would help you and be a blessing to you. But as I continue to pray, I felt it appropriate, and I felt it would be the will of God for me to speak to you out of one of those books, maybe perhaps that you have gotten, so if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the little book of Jude, the book of Jude. And I want to ask you to, we're not going to read but just a couple of verses, but I want to ask you, if you will, please leave your Bibles open because I want to lift from those verses some things that I think is important that uh, will help you understand this wonderful epistle. So Jude, and of course there's just one chapter, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Now, I ask you to pray for me, and uh, would you listen carefully? Would you follow along in your Bible? Ask the Holy Spirit to help you, and I, I believe that God will bless you and, and help you as we look at this book. Let's pause for just a moment. Our Bibles are open. Let's pray together and ask that the precious Holy Spirit would not be grieved, but he would be free to speak to our hearts. If you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, again, you are a special guest, and we hope that this will be the good day when you'll be born again and, and uh, rightly related to God. If you're here and you're saved, but 
you're not completely all in. You've, you've held back a little bit perhaps, or maybe you're just not exactly in the fellowship you want to be. I just pray that this would be the good morning when you'd settle that, that issue and God would bless you for doing so. So church, will you pray with me about that, what I've shared with you so far, that God would have his way and that Jesus would be exalted. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your holy word. We thank you, O oh God, for the privilege of standing here this morning and sharing what you've laid upon our hearts and what we see in the word of God. I pray that the spirit of God might use it to glorify the Lord Jesus and that you'd be honored. I pray it would be of help to your people, that they would be edified, that they would be encouraged. And I pray, Lord, for those who may need to just do business with you, that this would be the glad day, the great day when they would turn their lives over to you. Now, God, help me, I pray. Remind me, I pray. Give us light. We'll praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Would you look at verse number one and two of this little epistle? Verse one, he writes, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Now please remember, keep your Bibles open. We're going to look at some different verses. Now the book of Jude, the epistle of Jude, is the last of the general epistles. There's actually seven that are titled that, general epistles. And it is the non-Pauline letters, meaning that Paul did not write them. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament, but these general epistles are written by different men and they're written to different people. No individual and no individual churches are mentioned in the general epistles. Also, I'd have you note, if you will, that this little book, Jude, that's about apostasy, by the way, is placed exactly in the canon of scriptures where it needs to be placed. For, you see, according to the word of God, the church age, the dispensation of grace, will end with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in the rapture. And what marks the age is apostasy. So the church is not going to end in a great revival. I wish that were so, but that's not true. According to a couple of different apostles and Jude here, the church age is characterized by a turning away from the truth. Not a revival, no, not a spiritual awakening, no. And I'm not a gloom and doom preacher. I'm just saying to you that the church age is characterized, the ending of it, just before Jesus comes in the rapture and then afterward is characterized by apostasy placed in the canon of scripture exactly where it needs to be because it's just before the book of Revelation that deals with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now man did that. God didn't necessarily uh, tell man where to place the books of the Bible but they got it right. They placed it just where it needs to be in the canon of Scripture. So number one, we can say that apostasy, and I'll define it for you in just a moment, marks the ending of the church age. So let's look at the word for just a moment, the word apostasy. It's actually made up of two words. The first part of that word, apo, is a preposition. 
men who wrote the New Testament, especially Paul and Jude and others, loved to affix a preposition with another word. It gave the word intensity. It gave the word emotion. It gave the word urgency. And so it is with the word apostasy. The word apo, a preposition, means from, like I'm standing away from the podium. From is the first word, first part of that word. The second word, stasia, it means to stand. So when you crunch the word back together, apostasy is a turning from or a standing away from something. Now, of course, in the book of Jude, apostasy is seen as a turning away from a departure of that body of revealed truth, we call it the faith, that the Lord Jesus deposited with the church. Now, when he went away, he hadn't said everything he wanted to say. He said, there's many things I want to tell you, but you're not ready yet. But when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, he chose men to write the rest of the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we have what we call cardinal doctrine or Bible doctrine. In that Bible doctrine, it's things like the necessity of the new birth, blood atonement, the inspiration of the scriptures, the rapture of the church, the tribulation period, the second coming, and on and on we could go. You get the idea. The deposit that Jesus left for the church is that body of revealed truth that the church has been preaching since Jesus left. And so you and I, according to Jude, are to contend. That's a word that's used by about two boxers. They're in contention. We are to contend for the faith, that body of revealed doctrine that was deposited with me and you in the long ago. That historical preaching, that historical truth, what Jesus left with the church, you and I are to continue that great heritage of our forefathers in preaching and contending for Bible doctrine rightly divided. Now that's what the book of Jude is about. It's about apostasy, a standing away or a turning away from the truth. Let me give you some scriptures right quick. You don't have to turn, just listen. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, for example, get some eyes on where I can see 1 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to what the apostle writes. Now the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, he's talking about the latter times of the church age. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, listen, some shall depart, that's apostasy, some shall depart from the, definite article, the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils or demonic doctrine. So what did he say there? In the latter days of the church age, people, the religious world, will turn away from the truth, Bible doctrine, and they'll listen to seducing evil, wicked, demonic spirits and the doctrine that they produce. Now, 
Paul said that's going to happen in the latter days of the church age. Let me tell you, folks, it's here. It's already here. We're living and breathing apostasy. Let me give you another one. In 2 Timothy chapter number 4, verse 3 and 4, listen carefully. Timothy, the time will come when men shall depart from the faith. It will come, he says, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will turn their ears from the faith and be turned unto fables, heaping to themselves teachers having itching ears or willing to tickle the ear is what Paul is saying. They won't endure sound doctrine. So the church age, the age you and I are living in, the dispensation of grace that started at Pentecost and will end with the rapture is going to be characterized by an increasing, increasing amount of apostasy. They won't endure sound doctrine, he said, but they will turn their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. Now, most of us today, right here at Houston Baptist Church, we live a pretty secluded life. We're really not interested, many of us, about what's going on in other churches or in the religious world. But you see, it's, it's my responsibility as God's man, your pastor, our pastor, and other men who preach, it's our responsibility to check the temperature, the spiritual temperature of the religious world so that we can report to you and show you where we are in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not a date setter. I don't know when Jesus is coming. Could be tonight, tomorrow, next year, 10 years, 100 years from now, but I don't think so. The reason I don't is because not false doctrine necessarily. There's a difference. But apostasy, a turning away from biblical truth, will occur just before Jesus comes. Now, my brother, if you've got any spiritual discernment at all, you know that for many, many years now, we have been experiencing a turning away from Bible truth. I wish I had time to give you examples. I gave them this morning and run out of time, so I'm going to skip to that. But listen to this one other verse before we go back to Jude. In 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2 and verse 3, listen to what Paul has to say. He's writing about that tribulation period that's going to occur after the rapture when the Antichrist will be revealed. And he tells us in chapter number 2 and verse number 3, if you'll notice that uh, that day, the day of the Lord, not the rapture, but the day of the Lord, the second coming, will not occur until there come a falling away first. I think the King James says a great falling away. Guess what the word falling away, those two words, guess what the word is that's translated falling away there? You guessed it, it's apostasia. So he's saying that not only as the church age closes and the rapture takes place, but on into the tribulation period and when the Antichrist, the son of perdition, is revealed, the, the tribulation period will run its course, but Jesus Christ will not come in the second coming, in the apocalypse, the revelation of Christ, 
until there come a great apostasy. So you and I can judge from that and looking at your Bible, looking at the things going on around us, that apostasy marks the ending of an age. Of this age, I suggest to you that Jesus Christ could come at any time. There's nothing preventing him from coming in the rapture. We are seeing those things that Paul said will happen in the last days of the church age. We are actually seeing them take place and transpire right before our very eyes. So Jesus' coming is very near. If you're here this morning and you're unsaved, I want to suggest to you that the most urgent thing that you could do, the greatest thing you could do, is listen to the gospel, turn from your sin of unbelief, and put your trust in Jesus Christ, and get ready because Jesus is sure to come. And now I'll have an amen to that. That's kind of weak. Amen. He's coming again. Jesus is coming. And if you're unsaved, you'll be left here. My beloved Christian brother or sister, if you're not all in for Christ, I mean you've thrown down the shotgun of rebellion and you've come out waving the white flag of surrender. If you're not all in for Christ, I suggest to you that you surrender your life completely and totally without reservation this morning because you don't want to be embarrassed at the Bema seat when our wonderful Lord will come again. And His coming, I believe, is very near. Now would you look at verse 4 in your Bible. Verse number 4. As Jude begins to outline and give us his plan, verse number 4 says about the apostate teacher, for there are certain men crept in unawares who are before of old written about in this condemnation, ungodly men, notice please, turning the grace of our God into loose living, lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Jude says that there are already in his day men who are apostates who have crept in beside the born again, the church, the, the, the redeemed of God, and their mission is, their work is to turn the grace of God Paul's right there for just a moment. Paul writes in Titus, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, denying lusts, denying ungodliness. The grace of God, once you're saved, teaches you to live right. These apostate teachers have crept in beside the church. You can't tell them. They're in beside the local church. And their mission from Satan is to turn that grace that saves you and me into loose living. That means living as if you'd never been saved. Living as if there was no accountability. Living as if... Uh, you don't want anything to do with Bible truth or Bible separation. Now, they don't come right out and say that, but their lifestyle indicates that they've turned the grace of God that teaches us to live holy and righteously and godly in this present world. They've turned that grace 
into loose living, living like the world lives. Our churches are full of people like that. They're in church on Sunday morning, but during the week, come Monday through Saturday, they very rarely ever mention his blessed name. Much less do they behave like they ought to behave. Nobody on the job knows that they're a Christian. Nobody in their neighborhood knows that they're a Christian. Nobody around them knows that they are a Christian. I could give you all kinds of examples, and I'm not condemning anybody. I'm not being critical. I'm trying to stay true to the text. The text says that they'll turn the grace of God into loose living. If you're not all in, you ought to come today and give your life completely and totally to Christ and be ready to meet him at his coming. It's very urgent, very urgent for you to do that. So he talks about, verse 4, apostate teachers and what they do. Now beginning, if you will, look with me at verse number 6. I'm sorry, look at verse number 5. Jude's going to give us uh, six historical Old Testament examples of rebellion and apostasy. Now hold your finger right there. The Spirit of God just reminded me, listen carefully. Rebellion walks hand in hand with apostasy. And God said that rebellion is the same as witchcraft, which meant a death sentence in the Old Testament. Rebellion and apostasy Walk hand in hand. Now look at your Bible, verse 5. For examples of rebellion and apostasy. In verse 5, I would put you to remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people, that's Israel, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. The first Old Testament example of apostasy is Israel. God went down into Egypt, they were in Egypt, bondage, in bondage to Pharaoh. And God said through Moses, tell the children of Israel to offer a blood sacrifice, put it on their doorpost. I'm going to send a death angel. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Listen very carefully. Remember all the plagues that God put upon Pharaoh and the people? None of them, not one of them, as great as they were, as severe as they were, not one plague from God could bring those people out of bondage. It took the shed blood of a paschal lamb. That leads me to say that nothing in a person's life can take them out of bondage and set them free except the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else will set you free. You're still in bondage, no matter how religious one may be, unless the blood of Christ has washed you free from your sins. Amen? Amen. So Israel is the first example of apostasy and rebellion. Would you look again, please? And Israel, if you'll notice, has rebelled against the work of God. God brought them out so he could take them in. He brought them out of Egypt so he could take them into Canaan. But you know what happened. You know what the story. How that when they came to Kadesh Barnea, God said, go into Canaan and take it. So they got together 12 spies, sent them into Canaan. When they came back, the majority report was, 
All that God said about Egypt, I mean about Canaan, is true. The land's flowing with milk and honey, but we can't take it. We're like grasshoppers in those giants' sight. They're giants in the land, and we can't take it. And old Joshua and Caleb said, we're well able to take the land. God's already given it to us. Come on, let's take it. But Israel rebelled against the word of God and refused to go into Canaan. Now, Canaan's a type of victory. It's not a type of heaven. And God said, all right, since you've refused to do what I've told you to do, everybody from 20 years old and upward will die in the wilderness. And if you've read the book of Exodus, you know the story. Every one of that generation died. Then God brought that new generation into Canaan. The first example of rebellion and apostasy is Israel. Now look again in your Bible and I'll get to it. Look with me, if you will, at verse number 6. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved an everlasting change under darkness of the, of the great day, of the judgment day. And that's sort of a paraphrase, but you get the picture. The angels, which kept not their first estate, is the second Old Testament example of, a, of rebellion and apostasy. I wish I had the time. I'd love to talk to you about those angels. Suffice it to say, they were good, holy, godly angels. But as men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, a, a, a group of those angels, I don't know how many, but a group of them left their habitation in heaven. They came to this earth. They cohabited with earth women and produced a race of giants that brought on the flood. Now that may gag some of you, but that's exactly what Genesis chapter 6 is teaching. The second example of rebellion and apostasy are the angels that departed from the spear, departed from the location, departed from the will of God and came to this earth. That's apostasy in its largest form. And uh, they departed and left the will of God. Now Israel rebelled against the work of God. God wanted to bring them in. The angels rebelled against the will of God. It was never God's will for that to happen. But would you look again in your Bible, in the book of Jude, would you look again at verse number 7? The third example of rebellion and apostasy is Sodom and Gomorrah. Now if you know anything about the Bible, if you've read Genesis 19, I'm sure you have, you know the story of how God came down to Abraham, sent two angels to Sodom and Gomorrah, and God told Abraham he was going to destroy that city because of one sin. That's the sin of homosexuality. Now I want you to listen real careful to this preacher. I'm not homophobic. I don't hate the homosexual. If we had homosexuals come into our uh, auditorium today and sit down here, I'd sit down right beside them. I love their soul because Jesus died for them. And that sin is like any other sin. The blood of Christ can wash that sin away if they're willing. I'm not homophobic. I don't hate the homosexual, but I charge you to do one thing. I've examined the Bible now for about 50 years. I challenge you 
to find in the Bible where God burnt up five big cities other than this, this example that's given of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's never burned up a city for alcoholism. He's never burned up a city for drug addiction. He's never even burned up a city for adultery. You name it. No sin God has chosen to destroy five cities over. There's only one sin that brought about that great judgment of God, and that's the sin of homosexuality. They rebelled against the word of God. God said for a man to marry a woman. Amen? Amen. And God didn't change his mind about that, folks. Now listen to me. One reason I know beyond shadow of a doubt that we are living and breathing apostasy is churches today, organizations, denominations today have took what God said is an abomination in his sight and they have begun to ordain so-called gay men. There's nothing gay about them, but they've ordained them to stand behind a holy desk and preach to people and the Bible tells me that that's a, a sin that God loathes, that's a sin that God hates, but in this apostasy that we're living in, churches have ordained them, they're standing behind the pulpit, they're in the classroom, and they're saying that this ought to be accepted by the religious world. I want to tell you, God hates that sin. God hates it. God wants to save them. Romans 1 tells us that even though if they'll acknowledge their sin and trust Christ, they can be saved. But many of them are given over to a mind that's devoid of any spiritual discernment or any spiritual decision. Listen, folks, the third example of apostasy and rebellion is the homosexual. They rebelled against the Word of God. Now, I've got to hurry, but look at verse 11. He's going to give you three more Old Testament examples of rebellion and apostasy. Look at verse 11. Woe unto them. Them who? Them apostates. I know that's bad English, but those apostates. Look at this, please. They've gone in the way of Cain. You ought to understand what Cain's way was, and I, I, I can't get into it like I want to. But listen, Cain was the first apostate. You see, Adam had shown both Cain and Abel, Abel being the younger of the two, how to come in contact with God, how to worship God. Then he'd let them watch as he slayed a little animal, shed its blood, and offered it before God. That's how God said, Adam, from now on you're going to approach me through a blood sacrifice. Both of them knew. Certainly if the younger brother knew, the elder brother knew, and Cain, when it came time to worship, what did he do? Go out to the flock and get a little lamb and kill it? No. Cain went to the fruit of the ground, which was under a curse. Still is, by the way. Got the very best he could get, which was the works of his own hands, and offered it to God. Cain offered the world a religion without a mediator. Cain offered the world a religion without bloodshed. And God said to Cain, I can't accept that. If you do like your brother, and I paraphrase, 
You'll be accepted. If you'll offer the blood sacrifice, the way of Cain is a bloodless way. It is a way without a mediator. It's a way without an advocate. And Cain, the first apostate, departed from what God had shown his father about how to worship. No blood. No blood. So Cain is the first apostate. And listen, he rebelled and departed from worship. Israel rebelled and departed from God's work, wanting to bring them into Canaan. The angels rebelled and, and left their own estate, rebelled against God's will. The homosexual world rebelled against God's word. God said, thou shalt not do that. Cain rebelled against God's worship. Number five, Balaam. He rebelled against God's warning. God said to Balaam, you cannot go. Balak wanted to hire him to come over and curse God's people. God said, no way. You can't curse my people. But Balaam, knowing the will of God, went on anyway. See, Balaam is a typical Ireland prophet. His gift is for sale. If you get the money right, I'll preach for you. Amen? He left the warning of God ringing in his ears. God started to kill him with that angel. But thought, well, I'll use him as he goes over to preach about Israel, instead of condemning Israel, he blessed them. But Balaam rebelled against the work of God and the will of God, and he becomes number five, the fifth apostate. Then look at Korah. Look at verse 11 again. C-O-R-E, I think 11 says, but the word there is alliterated. It means K-O-R-A-H. Korah, Korah. That one that went out of Egypt with Israel one day got tired of listening to God's man Moses. And he decided, well, if Moses can lead these people, so can I. And he got a little group around him, surrounding him, and he convinced them that he could get in touch with God just like Moses could. He intruded into the priesthood. There was no divine call to Korah. There was a divine call to Moses and Aaron. And it broke old Moses' heart. He fell on his face and began to weep before God. God said, get up, Moses. I'm going to do something tomorrow that's never been done before. And to my knowledge, it's never been done again. Tomorrow you say, all of God's people, come over here with me, Moses. That's what you say. And I'm going to open the earth up. And Korah and all that appertains to Korah are going to fall into hell alive. Now, most people die and then go to hell. Korah went to hell and then died. That's what God thinks about a man who will rebel against divinely appointed servants, against divine authority. He rebelled against the work and the will of God, and God let him fall into hell alive. Now, I've got to hurry, and I'm watching the clock, so don't, don't get excited. Notice, please, if you will, verse number 12 and 13. Not only Old Testament examples, but here we find some word pictures. You know what a word picture is, don't you? If I had a, a drawing here, and I had on that drawing a lion eating a little lamb, and I revealed that to you, I wouldn't have to describe it. You'd get the message by looking at the picture, right? Right? 
that the lion had killed the lamb and is eating it. That's what Jude's going to do in these next verses. He's going to give you word pictures of apostasy. Would you look with me, please, at verse number 12. In verse 12, he says these apostates are spots in your love feast. Actually, that is a coral reef. And to a captain of a ship, as he's on the water sailing, he looks out there and just below the water, there's a big old spot there. It's a coral reef. And if he doesn't do something in a hurry, he's going to run across that coral reef and destroy the ship. Jude says, they'll come to your love feast, but they're like that coral reef. They're going to destroy your ship. They're going to destroy that church. They're a coral reef. Notice something else, if you will, in verse number 12. They are waterless clouds. Now the Oriental loved certain things immensely. Number one, he loved light. That's why Jesus uses the the illustration of light. He loved bread. And Jesus used that illustration of bread because they loved bread. Number three, they loved water. When they saw a rain cloud coming, man, they rejoiced and praised God because, listen, I was there in 1985. That is a barren, dry land. And when the Orientals saw the rain cloud, that rain cloud was promising them life. That's what water is, right? can live without water, right? It gives you life. And he uses the, the water. He talks to the woman up the well about the water of life. The Oriental loved water. Jude says these apostate teachers are like those waterless clouds. They look like a Christian. They act like a Christian. They promise life, but they're without water. They can't give you anything that will save you because they themselves have no water of life. Waterless clouds. Look again in verse number 11. Not only are they waterless clouds, but they are late autumn trees. Verse 12. These trees that withereth should have had fruit on them. These are autumn trees. But they have no genuine fruit. You see, an apostate cannot bear good fruit. That's why Jesus said you'll know them by the fruit that they bear. It's because an apostate cannot bear good fruit. They're late autumn trees without fruit. Look again at verse 13. Wild waves of the sea. Ever been on the ocean when a storm is coming up or has just come through? How those waves slash against the rocks and they they bring debris and they bring filth and they bring things people have thrown away. Those waves of sea, the wild waves of the sea speak of the wasted effort of the apostate and the result of the apostate's meaning, it will be filthy, dirty, and good for nothing. They're like the wild waves of the sea. They can't be garnished. They can't be tamed. They can't be used. They're out of control. Look finally at verse 13 again. Wandering stars. Now to the Oriental, a star was very important. Especially was it important to the marina. Star does two things. You ought to keep this in mind as you read the book of Revelation. And he said, I've got these stars in my right hand. Star does two things. Those stars are pastors, by the way. 
First, a star gives direction. It's one of the oldest known forms of direction that there is. That pastor, that star, is to give direction to the local church. Number two, a star gives light. And when the man of God opens this book and begins to preach, you ought to see some light. If you hear a message and there's no light there, you can mark it down, brother. That guy either missed the boat and didn't understand God's message, or he's an apostate. Light and direction is what stars do. And these stars are wandering. The word is planeo. It means to wander out of their course. You've seen a shooting star, haven't you? It got out of its course, and it burned out and hit the ground. No light and no direction from these stars. Now I'm going to skip a lot because my time is quickly slipping away. Would you look with me, please, at verse number 1, Jude verse 1. There are two relationships mentioned here. Notice first, the servant of Jesus Christ. That's Jude's heavenly or spiritual relationship. Look again. And brother of James. That's, James, that's Jude's earthly or natural relationship. So he gives the spiritual relationship first because it's the most important, right? I mean, there's nothing more important in this world than your relationship to God. I don't care what it is. So he gives his heavenly or spiritual relationship first because it's most important. But he also gives his natural or earthly relationship seen in the phrase brother of James. Now, I don't have time, but if you would just study the New Testament, you'd find that James was a very outstanding, influential person. And by the way, Jude and James and Simon and Joseph was four half-brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a relationship. His mother is Mary. He's kin to James, the great orator, the man that's over the church in Jerusalem, the man that was one of the pillars of the church the man that presided over Acts chapter 15 council, James, what a great man. He's my brother, you said. Now listen to me. If there's ever been a man or men that could claim that their earthly, natural relationship ought to give them a position in heaven, ought to be able to take them to heaven, it's Jude. Jude and James, half-brothers of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude and James, men that that walked with Jesus, same mother, Mary, what clout, what reputation, what exalted position this is. That ought to at least buy him a place in heaven, wouldn't you say? Jude knew better than that. That's why he gives his heavenly relationship. Would you give me just a few minutes and I'll close and we'll go home. That heavenly relationship did not come because he was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. It did not come because he was the brother of James. That heavenly relationship came because he had received Christ, his own half-brother, after the resurrection, he had received Christ as his Lord and Savior. 
That gave him a heavenly relationship. Nothing else will give you a relationship with God other than the new birth. Now, I'm very concerned in our day. I'm not an alarmist, but I'm very concerned about these churches and these denominations that preach and teach about following Jesus. Just come and follow Jesus. And they take that from that record of Matthew where Jesus spoke to this person and he came and followed him and followed him. But what they don't understand or fail to tell you is before Jesus instituted the call to follow him, they had met the Lord Jesus previously and believed on him as their Lord and Savior. Listen, folks. You can't follow Jesus without first being born again. That gives you that heavenly relationship. Yes, you ought to follow Jesus after you're saved. But following Jesus don't save you. It didn't save anybody then. It won't save anybody now. Your relationship with God comes into being only as a result of the new birth. Are you born again? And if you are, then are you serving? I'd love to have the time to tell you about Dulas, the, the love slave, but I don't have. But would you just think of this as you bow your heads and pray with me? Just bow your heads and close your eyes. All I'm asking you to do and think of this. You may be born into a noble family, into a rich family, into a religious family. You may have gone to Sunday school and church all of your life, and you're a good person. Your earthly relationships would suggest that you're one of the few that really take seriously about your church and about reading the Bible and so on. But I want you to know, dear friend, that all of those things, coming to Sunday school, being baptized in water, joining a church, all of those relationships will never take you to heaven. You must be born again. Do you have a heavenly relationship with Jesus Christ through the new birth? Has your sins been forgiven? Can you put your finger on a time, not a date, but a time when Jesus came into your heart and saved you? If you can't, oh my soul, this morning, please let this be the morning. Please let this be the day when you forsake all of the religion, all of the churchanity, all of the religious deeds and come to Christ and Him alone. If you're here that way this morning, I pray you take advantage of this and get saved. If you're here, dearly beloved, and you're not a thulos, you're not a love slave, you're genuinely saved, but you're walking at a distance. Your life's not all in for Christ. I beg of you this morning, would you hear the cry and the call from this preacher? Would you come and give your life unreservedly to Jesus Christ and do His will. You'll thank, you'll thank me one day at the Bema Seat if you'll do this. Father, in Jesus' name, I've sought to be true to the text. I've talked to them primarily about apostasy, but the main thing was the relationship. Lord, I don't know anybody's heart here today, and it'll take a real man, a real woman, a real boy or girl to take that step out by faith and give their life to Jesus, no matter what else they've done. It'll take a real person of character to step out of their seat and come forward and say, yes, I'm saved, but I want to give my life completely to the Lord. 
God, would you do that in this invitation? We'll praise you and thank you for all you do. In Christ's name, would you stand with me, please? verse but before we do I'm not trying to make you doubt your relationship I'm asking you to be sure of it are you sure do you know for sure that your name's written do you know for sure that your sins are gone do you know for sure that you're in a born again relationship with Christ saved person is your all in is everything about you surrendered to Christ would you listen to the call of the Holy Spirit today and while we sing this next verse, we'll be done. Make that step. Come to the Lord, and you won't regret it. All right, let's sing. I'm so glad I And thank you for listening to this preacher. I hope the message was a blessing to you, something you can take home and think about. Please remember the focus groups tonight. Pastor, anything else that needs to be said? Conference in five minutes. God bless you. Let's be dismissed in prayer. You dismiss us, brother.